Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host on Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. We're so happy to have Dr. Jim Harder, a chief scientist for Gallup, as our in-studio guest today. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Darrell. Glad to be here. Jim, you have authored a number of books. You're the chief scientist at Gallup. But if you could, could you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you got started in this particular field? Sure. I've, I've been with Gallup now over 26 years studying uh, human behavior, really, in organizations and, you know, in general around the world. But it ranges from studying the cultures in organizations and what drives performance from a cultural perspective to studying individual differences and what we have you know, in us that's inherent and how we can leverage our inherent talents to affect performance. So those are some of the things that, that I've been working on. I was really influenced by uh, um, some of the work I've done with a lot of individuals over time, some mentors that have had a big influence on me and have gotten me interested in this work. And who is your chief mentor? Don Clifton um, is a guy that I had a chance to work with. He actually was the the president of the organization when I started, and um, I started off with an internship in the organization many years ago, and uh, he asked me to work with him in research, and I got just very interested in this line of work, and he helped me develop over time. Let's talk about the work environment. Uh, what are some of the key things that uh, your study found that managers should be aware about as to how they influence the work environment? Environments to how you select you know, leaders and people in a wide variety of job types um, across the globe. So part of it is who you pick. We, we found, we've learned a lot about that, but the rest of it is about how you manage the people that you select and build a great environment so that they can contribute to the organization's success and, and their own well-being over time. And, and you found that the, the companies that do that, they are really positioning themselves for long-term growth? Yeah, organizations that invest in these kinds of things. Um, now, organizations vary. Some of them invest more from a short-term incentive, and but th- those that take a long-term, uh, a long-term incentive. So, in other words, they're investing in the people themselves, and they see the long-term payoff from that really benefit greatly. We see uh, um, greater growth in earnings per share for those that are, you know, publicly traded and. Um, and watch their stock closely. And there are, uh, uh, for those that, that are nonprofits, there's other outcomes that are relevant to them, such as how they serve their constituencies, whether people show up, um, whether they build a safe environment or not. So there's a number of outcomes that we've seen are associated with doing what's right for people in the first place. But, you know, le- leadership in general, it isn't just about uh, making people happy in the workplace. We found it's it's about really paying attention to some real specific elements that drive performance in the workplace. And what would you characterize as some of those key performance indicators that drive excellent performance? Well, at a real basic level, um, and this is often overlooked, people need to know what's expected of them and their work. And we've, we've done surveys of over 20 million employees around the world over the last decade. And uh, one thing we found is that just a little over half the people clearly know what's expected of them in their work every day. So if you don't pay attention to that one, then the rest of what you do, you might build an environment where people feel connected to their 
their their friendships at work. They may feel connected to their coworkers. They may be connected to the mission of the organization. But if they don't pay attention to that one basic fundamental, then you don't get as much out of that energy because people don't feel as directed. They don't feel like they're contributing to the success of the organization. And they, quite frankly, they come to work feeling confused. Mm. Um, so that's a basic that's often overlooked. But there's others that build on that. It's, it's interesting that you should mention that. In my consulting business that I have, I, I've, I've noticed that a lot of the firms that I deal with, they suffer from this problem where there is a disconnect between their mission strategy, their vision strategy, and the job descriptions, but also the performance objective setting. Have you experienced that as well? Yeah, and I think most organizations have mission or uh, purposes that are that are well-intended and are consistent with their values, but uh, one of the problems is that um, every, in terms of everyday management, um, employees um, don't feel that they can, they don't necessarily feel they can see what they're doing on a daily basis connects to that broader purpose or mission. And I think that's one of the roles of great management and great leadership is that they can help people see what they do, regardless of what their role is in the organization, what they do every day and how that connects to a broader purpose. Or you might think of it as a broader tribe. We're all, we, all have, we all want to be a part of something more significant you know, than, than what we're just doing every day. Um, while the worker comes to work, it's also the whole person that comes to work. And it's hard to take human nature out of the person when they come to work. Right. And, and to those CEOs who have said, oh, well, that's an HR issue, how do you respond to that? Is that, is that good leadership or is that just absentee leadership? Well, I, I guess I'd, 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 I'd say the latter. And the reason I say that is that um, we've seen a lot of organizations over, over time, some of which um, really data is that there's a cascade effect in organizations. So when CEOs and their direct reports are more engaged, so in other words, when they know what's expected of them, when they feel connected to the mission or purpose of the organization, when they feel they have a chance to do what they do best, their direct reports are also more engaged, and then there's a cascade through the rest of the organization on these kinds of issues. So Statistically, it works out. This isn't just, I'm not just giving you my opinion on this. This is the way it works out in the data. So organizations that have an upper management team, the full team, who's more engaged, just have a better chance for people on the front line to feel there's some authenticity in what they're asking them to do. And if you think about where communication tends to break down in organizations as they grow, it's really in that middle management layer. That's where you get different tribes, different uh, silos, you could say where people aren't communicating as effectively, a lot of that has to do with how upper management communicates and pulls together these individuals to, to help them feel that they are a part of a common cause. Right. That's right. And so in the middle management where it breaks down, what happens there? I, I like the, the phrase that you use that these different tribes start to develop. Yeah, and, it, and you, could, you could kind of equate it to human nature. Um, it is human nature for us to feel we're a part of a group and if we can only do that locally, if we feel that there's something working against us outside of our local tribe, sometimes our our local tribe will become stronger, but it could be to the detriment of the organization. So we find sometimes people say that they have best friends at work, but if they don't have those basics in place, knowing what's expected of them, uh, having a chance to do what they do best, then you, you get these clicks where people feel connected to one another but in a dysfunctional way. So, you know, one of the keys is to pull together these folks in middle management, the leadership, and, and help them feel connected to one another, that they're all kind of in sync and, and working toward a common goal and a common purpose. 
that's one of the critical roles, I think, of senior management is to think more broadly than the day-to-day tasks, but also help people see what their function is and how it relates to the rest of the organization. And um, what are some of the, the, the techniques that uh, upper management could use in these large organizations to make sure that the middle management tribes are marching along the same beat? Well, one is, uh, is, is in, and I, I go to, to measurement because I think measurement is so important because you don't know where you're headed or where you've been unless you've been measuring it over time. So um, the, the good news is scientifically now we can measure culture. We can measure uh, whether people are engaged in their work or not, and we can report that on an ongoing basis. And then we can get folks together to be thinking together about how you change. Um, very few teams in the world are perfectly engaged, so there's always something to work on. But uh, in, in what areas people aren't engaged? We found there are 12 elements to great management. It applies to leadership as well. There, of course, are different things for upper management, uh, but the 12 work across the board for upper management, middle management, and uh, the front lines. Now, and, this is great. This is a great segue. Um, the 12, you can say the el- there's 12 great elements of, man- of great managing, and that's a book that, uh, that you wrote along with a colleague of yours, correct? That's right. That's right. And tell us a little bit more about what are the, the 12 elements of great managing. So these are, we did a, a worldwide study of uh, leaders. We went out and we found top leaders all over the world uh, at every level. So um, upper management leaders we found, we looked for frontline leaders. What we found is that most of what engages people happens very locally. And then we looked for which elements drive high performance. So we didn't just um, develop our own opinion about what drives performance. We let the data tell us what drives outcomes like profitability, customer service, um, employee retention, what uh, drives productivity, absenteeism, or, or people showing up to work, basically. Um, what drives higher safety, so less accidents on the job for those organizations that measure that. We found there were 12 that worked consistently across very different types of jobs in different kinds of environments. And they range from the one that we talked about a little bit ago, knowing what's expected of you at work, all the way up to a higher level need um, about learning and growing as an individual. So do you have a chance on an ongoing basis to learn and grow? And in between those are 10 others, all of which are important from do you have what you need to do your work, the materials and equipment you need to do your work. That might seem like a non-emotional issue, but it, it's, it's a very emotional issue because um, as human nature enters in and uh, we like to guard our stuff. We like to have our stuff as as humans, and if we don't have what we need to do our work, it sends a message that management isn't really committed to what they're asking me to do. And of those 12 great elements of great managing, based upon your knowledge, um, how many of those, how many of these elements does a company typically do well? Well, it, it varies by organization. Some Some are more common than others. So the first one I mentioned, knowing what's expected, is the most commonly obtained, but still a little over half the, a little over half the people know clearly what's expected of them in their work. So there's still a lot of work to do on that one basic element. Um, people, uh, so we ask it on a, on a range. So we have a range on each one of those elements that we measure. And uh, typically organizations have work to do, have some work to do on almost all of them, but uh, so it's hard to reach perfection, although some people, they grow over time, and how they grow over time in attending to these elements is that they, they put measurement in place, 
they put good education in place that's that's based on what we found from the best managers in the world and what they do in response to them. And then then the key is to think about how all that fits into the situation of the organization. So what's behind I know what is expected of me at work could vary dramatically depending on the organization and what their goals and objectives are. But uh, it's not as simple as just telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, a bit more complex than that because people learn their expectations based on the people around them. We call it tacit knowledge. You pick mm-hmm. up just by working with people for a significant amount of time. You, uh, you can anticipate what the person next to you or the person working with you is going to do given what you do. And that's the kind of thing that um, gets worked on over time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Right, right. And you know, when you say that you can now measure culture, how do you do that? that that's fascinating. Well, we start with, uh, we, we, we went through a long history of testing a lot of different questions, and uh, that's, that's one of the things we do at Gallup is we write questions, we study the best performers, we write questions, and we test which ones actually predict performance outcomes. So in other words, if you took people's responses to a question and you rank ordered them from top to bottom, does that rank ordering coincide also with how people perform on different outcomes that we're studying, like profitability or customer service? So the first thing was to find questions that sort to those outcomes. And then secondly, to think about which of those questions are actionable that a manager or um, an employee could take and do something with or a leader could take and do something with over time to make a difference, to create some change. So everything that we've met, all, all 12 of those are changeable they relate to important outcomes that organizations are trying to do something about. So we start with asking a question. We, we put it on a scale so that people can respond in terms of um, how strongly they feel about the issue. And then we accumulate the responses and, and teach around what people said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is the 360-degree feedback tool, is that still relevant and used in this framework? Um, that's a different type of a tool that can be effective, but I think organizations need to be careful about how they use those. So, in other words, if you're using a 360 tool to give feedback um, to an individual, that will give you a perspective from a lot of different angles, from the, the person's boss, from the person's uh, direct reports, from the constituencies. But be real careful about whether um, these groups can objectively um, give you ratings on what you're asking about and whether the areas you're asking about are changeable or not. So there's uh, an important distinction in our line of work between the characteristics we have as human beings that are more malleable and those that aren't. So think about your personality, for instance. That's something that if I was, as a manager, tried to change, I'd probably be fighting a pretty tough uphill battle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I know your personality or what we call your talents or your strengths, if I know your talents your inherent kind of qualities, I can more easily manage toward those to reach outcomes like knowing what's expected, like getting you in a job where you have a chance to do what you do best, and uh, building an environment that caters to you as an individual as opposed to expecting you to be someone who you're not. So that's a pretty important distinction for leadership to be thinking about over time is how do you build programs, put things in place so that you first understand who the individuals are, and secondly, build an environment 
uh, around the right kinds of outcomes. So, Jim, it, 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 it sounds like management really, in order to deal with today's knowledge workers, that they really need to have a very high emotional intelligence score. Uh, what are your thoughts about emotional intelligence, and do you feel that it, it's very relevant in today's man, management of our, of our teams? Well, I, I think of it in a lot of the same ways that I think about 360 that we just talked about. And it all kind of comes down to what you're measuring and, and what you do with what you're measuring. So that distinction I made between what's inherent and what is changeable is really important. So from an emotional tel- intelligence standpoint, there are some managers or leaders who just naturally have the propensity to listen to other people, to individualize with them, to care about them, um, and so people have different propensities for that, but beyond what's inherent, but people have different styles within that, too. Some, some are more outgoing, some are a little bit more introverted, but can still relate to other people. So we need to honor those different styles um, within what's inherent. So we call those talents. Um, every, each of us has our own unique talents. Um, those talents can then be used to build more intelligence about myself over time through feedback around things that I can change, like, do people know what's expected of them? Do people feel cared about? Um, if I'm working with an employee and they don't feel I get some feedback that they don't feel cared about, then I need to think about what my talents are. I need to think about what that individual's talents are and how do I adjust the environment or adjust my response to that individual so that they do feel cared about. Mm. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it starts with who we are and the parts of us that aren't as likely to change and then moves to how do we use who we are to affect the environment and also the outcomes the organization is trying to achieve. So it sounds like it's a, it's a 50-50 responsibility between the team member and the manager to, to correctly determine if, if, the team, if the team player is in the right position doing the right type of uh, task, if you will. It's, it's 50-50, I would say, to some extent, but at, at the same time, I think we have to be pretty clear on the fact that management or leadership um, can really take the lead. So uh, out of all these elements we've learned about engagement, the leadership or local, let's just call it local management, um, can influence about 70% of that. So for them to take the lead doesn't mean they have to do everything. It means that the, the individual employee is responsible also for, for communicating and um, being vigilant giving feedback to the manager, all those kinds of things. But the, leadership, the, the, the local level management should be assertive about first figuring out who is this individual I'm working with, what are their talents, how do they like to be recognized, mm-hmm. what do they like to be recognized for, mm-hmm. um, what are they experiencing in their job that fits with their talents, what, what's an uphill battle for them, and how can I uh, maybe build some partnerships so that it isn't such an uphill battle, so that um, not that there aren't, you know, there are, with every job, there are issues and problems, things that cause stress, but that's a reality. But how can I minimize that so that I improve this person's life while we're improving performance? Right, right. You know, oftentimes uh, in the past, I've, I've had teams as large as 120 people. And um, sometimes, as you know, when folks are in the interview, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say yes to everything to, uh, to get the position. But once they get in the position, it becomes very apparent that it's just not a good fit. What mm-hmm. advice would you give to uh, um, prospective employers in regards to how that they can screen and vet candidates 
to ensure that they're putting, they got the right person with the right skill set, the right personality um, for a particular position? Well, there are, um, as you mentioned, there are these halo effects that affect selection of people. So if we leave it to our own judgment, uh, a lot of times those those effects, you know, how somebody looks, how they uh, perceive, how they, they come across in an interview will bias our interpretations. Uh, behavioral economics has shown that we're prone to all these kinds of biases. One way to cut through those biases is to develop objective, scientifically-based selection processes that you couple with other qualitative information you've gathered to make a, an objective decision. And those tools, we build them ourselves. Um, we've done it since the late 60s. Those tools can be put in place so that you can screen people, interview them, and understand whether each individual person fits other uh, past studied top performers, so people who are top performers in that particular job, how does their profile. So we're really our own lab in a lot of ways. Management science has shown that you can develop um, objective tools that are unique to each job that allow you to screen people into and, and increase your likelihood that that person will fit that job. That doesn't guarantee it, but it increases your chances significantly. And then what you have when you come when you when you hire people is you still have people. We don't you don't hire clones. You still hire people with a broad range of uh, different talents, but those talents are more likely to fit the job you're asking for. And then once you hire them, then you can use other tools, like we have one called Strengths Finder that you can use to understand who each individual is and also adjust the job to that individual to some extent. Now, Strength Finder, is that a proprietary tool that you've developed? Yeah, it's been around since the um, late 90s, and um, it's a tool that measures 34 themes. It's been completed on over 7 million people okay. around the world, and it's... Uh, um, measures 34 themes mm-hmm. of talent mm-hmm. and gives people feedback on what their talents are, their, their, their top talents are. And, and what we find is that it, does, it helps people in all walks of life, but in, in the management world, it helps managers see each person as an individual. Instead of sitting in a room and saying, this person should be more like me, you're sitting in a room saying, this person isn't like me, and that's good. I know their talents, I know my talents, and, and we can use our talents in a collective way to affect the outcomes we're trying to achieve. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. Jim Harder, Ph.D., the chief scientist at the Gallup Poll, and we're talking about a couple of books that he has written, uh, focusing on the 12 elements of great managing today. Uh, Jim, in regards to Strength Finder, where can folks, can they find us on your website? Sure. Yeah, you can get it. Uh, there's, a, there's a book out called Strengths Finder 2.0. Okay. And uh, it includes the instrument itself, and um, you can get that through our website or through Amazon.com um, or any of the any of the booksellers. And do you have your own website, or is, does everything channel through the Gallup.com website? Gallup, everything's through Gallup.com. Okay, um, And you'll see an ongoing at that site. You'll see an ongoing stream of articles on our well-being and engagement research in organizations. Now, you know, today we're, we're talking about the 12 elements of great managing, but I'm hoping, Jim, that uh, you can come back and talk about uh, well-being because that is such a fascinating book as well. That's, that's what I'd consider that to be the area that's kind of on the, ne- the next stage of engagement. So how do you really think about the whole person? Um, think about their talents. We've talked about that. Think about engaging them in their work. But how do you think about them as a whole person in their entire life, and how, what role does an organization play in that? Mm. 
I certainly look forward to exploring that with you. And how did you um, uh, come about this this topic as a career? Did you did you? I know you got your uh, your doctorate from uh, University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, were, were you an undergraduate there as well? Yes, and uh, during my undergraduate work, I um, like a lot of people, I guess. Um, I stumbled across a, a mentor. His name was Don Clifton. He's actually the developer of that Strengths Finder tool that I just, we just talked about. Um, and uh, I started with an internship, and then he asked me to work with him in research. And I completed all my all my uh, postgraduate work while I was working with Don. He passed away several years ago, but oh. um, was the, the the leader. The, the American Psychological Association um, labeled him the uh, the father of strengths based psychology. So he built a career on studying what's right with people and uh, how you make that a part of organizations and uh, in management in an everyday sense. So uh, I've kind of tried to follow in his footsteps, and uh, he taught me a lot, and uh, keep learning more as we go here. And you're an adjunct there as well, correct? Yeah, I've served as an adjunct, and I teach at uh, our local university here. Um, I just kind of as a guest lecturer, and I've, I've served as an adjunct faculty at the university for some courses. And then what's 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 interesting is that what I'm curious about in your own organization, do you give counsel or advice to the Gallup management in regards to how they can be uh, a better a better company? We practice uh, this all the time. We're kind of you might think of us as our own lab in a lot of ways. Um, we. Um, I'm constantly studying our own data. Um, we, we measure engagement at least twice every year Okay. Uh, in our own organization, report it back at a local level. Um, we have a earlier objective interviews that are designed to fit each person to their role, and we're constantly studying our own data. Um, and we generally will we'll, uh, apply something in our own organization before we put it out um, in other organizations. So in the truest sense of the word, a, a kind of living lab here. Wow. We've got about so, 500 people on our campus in Omaha. You have 500 people there. Wow. In our, yeah, in Omaha, and then about uh, a couple thousand worldwide. And how did you settle on working for the Gallup organization? Well, not well, settle, it, but how did you choose the Gallup organization? It was all influenced by my mentor um, and uh, the fact that I had a chance to work with him over time, and I got really engaged in the work that we were doing that led to you know, all of my graduate work and um, research research studies. And uh, there's a big mission behind what we do here, and I, I really connect with that, helping people be heard and um, helping organizations create impact. And so all of our research here is very practical. It's scientific, but yet we take the science and try to make it as practical as possible so that it can be applied. Very nice, very nice. And, you know, because I guess, you know, you always hear about the Gallup poll, and I guess I'm always paying attention to it in regards to what folks are saying about the economy or what yeah. they're saying about our, our good friends, our, our, good, our good politician friends. But Gallup is much more than that. Yeah, our, uh, um, we're best known for what you just described but uh, what we do in the area that I work in the most is we uh, study organizations and we figure out how to apply um, what we're learning in the polls and also what we're learning through more in-depth local studies and organizations, um, how do we apply that. So, for instance, we've had a chance to study how some of these things we've been talking about, engagement and well-being, relate to physiology and health. Um, 
So we track people over time and look at their physiological changes and, and how making a better workplace just makes someone healthier. Mm-hmm. It's a theory that maybe your, your manager could, could mean more to you than your doctor in terms of your long-term health. Well, you know, it's interesting how you know, I've heard a number of people say over time, well, you know, I just had to leave that job because it was affecting my health. You know, mm-hmm. The stress from it was, was just too much. The data seemed to bear that out. You know, when we looked at, look at people who are actively disengaged in their work, for instance, that's a worse psychological situation than having no job at all, than being unemployed. Mm. Um, so, and when we study the, the momentary, momentary um, stress hormones, so we've had a chance to do that, track that for people who are disengaged versus engaged, some big differences. So I think what people observe um, is pretty close to what's really happening. Yes, yes. Well, Jim, believe it or not, uh, we are out of time. Um, before we go, is there one thought you would like to leave with our audience in regards to leadership? Well, I guess the central finding from all these years that I've been studying this um, leads me to the conclusion that um, it's very possible to change people's lives and to affect people's lives while you're improving performance in organizations. Those two things aren't opposites. They go together very nicely if you focus on the right elements, um, not just about making people happy, but focusing on those right on the right elements. You can improve lives and improve performance at the same time. So I guess that'd be my kind of summary statement, Darrell. Excellent, excellent. And Jim, uh, in the near future, we'll have you back on a program to really talk about your book, Wellbeing. Great, Darrell. Thanks for having me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We're here with Dr. Jim Harder, Ph.D., a chief scientist at the Bowl and author of The 12 Elements of Great Managing as well as Well-Being. He also has a study that he just recently published an article in regards to the effects of an engaged worker versus a worker not engaged and couple that together with, uh, with a long commute. And I urge you to go to the gallup.com site and check it out. So, Jim, thanks again for coming on the program. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.